Okay. Go ahead. Is this on? Yeah. All right. Did I do that? No. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Uh, my name is uh, Ivan Boyer, and I'm here with a colleague of mine, uh, Jaime Franklin. Jaime yes. Franklin. <laughs> we are all part of Palo Alto Networks family. And today, we're going to tell you about sort of our uh, journey to automation. Uh, we're going to show you some use cases we found applicable to our journey. And then we're going to end up with a, a short demo about how does it all gel together. Uh, before we start, can you show me with a show of hands maybe how many of you are familiar with Palo Alto Networks? Cool. Uh, and maybe, again, with a show of hands, how many of you are already using automation tools such as Ansible, Terraform, or something else? All right, about 50%. Excellent. Okay, so, so let's go on with it. So um, I think one, one thing which kind of escapes sometimes for the, you know, some of you that are sort of new to the automation itself is that automation really must not require a programming experience. It must be easy. And the main reason for this is because you know, uh, automation will help you get into the cloud, and it's going to be driven by your DevOps culture. And unless they understand it and can do it easily, they can't really evangelize your product. From our perspective, when we looked into this, when we tried to, the first attempts to do automation, we were really cumbersome and complex. And it really, we had a hard time uh, pushing our product to the cloud. However, when we streamlined into some of the tools I'm going to talk about, you know, things kind of magically, the door opened, and they started adopting our product in the cloud. So it must be easy. Um, however, you know, uh, uh, it's a balancing act. Uh, DevOps wanted easy. Uh, DevOps is very dynamic. You got to put your VPCs in AWS and remove them. Uh, the, the workload uh, lifecycle management is really much shorter than the uh, on-prem. But the other side, security needs to be structured. Security follows uh, very uh, specific control change practices. The processes are well uh, established. So it's really hard to find that balance between you know, doing uh, uh, DevOps automation and security, especially for companies such as ours. Um, as we jumped into the cloud, so for those that might not know, Palo Alto Network started as the uh, uh, physical appliance, and, uh, next generation security firewall. And then eventually, obviously, we, decide, we figured out that we got to jump into the cloud wave. And as we jumped into the cloud wave, we figured out there are some major changes that you know, uh, are differentiators between the cloud and on-prem solutions. Um, you know, cloud moves very quickly, obviously. You know, you need to be able to instantiate your workloads, you know, in a matter of minutes, if not seconds, if you can. You know, the, the lifecycle management of the workloads is uh, less than the, uh, you know, maybe a month or less than that. Containers, you know, come up and down in five minutes or less than that. Uh, very different than, you know, a typical physical scenario where you plug in your appliance into a data center, configure it, plug in the network cable, and you don't touch it anymore until the next refresh cycle. So we very quickly figure out that the only way to get to this quickness is to really do it through automation. I'm going to talk more about it a little bit, a little bit later with some details. Got to be reproducible, right? Um, but we discovered that some of the customers that we deal with, you know, they actually like to tear down their topologies almost on a monthly basis. Do they, they do this so that you know, they make sure that the topologies are up to standards as far as security patches go, as far as the, the latest software goes, as far as you know, pretty much um, uh, all, the, all the patches are done. So they, they like to, some of the companies actually do this weekly just to make sure that you know, they're running the product in the most latest uh, software. 
Uh, so again, if you want to reproduce something like that, if you want to deploy your solution into, uh, uh, say you have a QA staging area, say you have a, a production, say you have a, uh, maybe your alpha, alpha staging area, you got to be able to reproduce that. And again, without automation, you can't do this. Got to be repeatable, kind of follows the same example. You got to be scalable, right? You, you want to be able to auto-scale with the cloud and the speed of the cloud. Again, if you try to do this manually, there is no way you will catch up to the cloud ever. They're just going to run away from you. So fortunately, in Palo Alto Networks, we actually thought about this from pretty much day one. So we started in 2009 introducing the public API to all our products. Uh, this is XML-based API, uh, which was you know, back in the days. That was you know, the, the next new thing which worked. Uh, but what we figured out very quickly is that um, some of the customers, that's kind of too low level for them. So you know, looking to you know, use cases and everything else, we figured out, OK, we're going to jump onto something that's a little bit more uh, higher abstraction than the API, and especially XML APIs are. So we, you know, a couple of year, uh, years later, developed the, uh, a Python library, um, which is actually Python-driven CLI, which allows you to pretty much control most of the features of the firewall, very much like you would use AWS CLI to control some of your uh, accounts and VPCs and networking and everything else you can within AWS. Uh, however, even that was too low level, and then you know, we started looking into automation tools. And so as far as automation tools goes, we had to make a bet, because there's, there was probably 50 of them floating around to figure out which one actually is going to be adopted the most. And so back in uh, you know, 2015, we actually went with Ansible. That was before Ansible was part of the Red Hat and it was a standalone company. And it seems like we made a good bet, because you know, nowadays it was configuration management tool back then. It still is, but it does much more than that. And it seems like actually the bet was OK, as Ansible seems to be predominant in uh, some of the networking and security matters that, that at least we are dealing with. Um, again, uh, uh, as we developed, so what we did actually, we developed a set of the uh, Ansible custom modules, which allow you to control and um, configure our firewall, provision two if you need to. Um, however, that covers only 70% of the use cases. Customer wanted more, so we came up with a SDK, Python SDK called Pen Device, which allowed to do even more. And then after that, you know, since the uh, beginning of this year, we figured out that Terraform is something that lots of board in the cloud companies like to use because it claims it's heterogeneous, you know, and easy to use in multiple clouds, all that good stuff, uh, you know, which, which works or doesn't work sometimes. Anyhow, uh, we decided to jump on Terraform bandwagon, and that was actually uh, so finally that clicked with a lot of our customers because it seems like that was the right thing to do for the cloud. So what really happened is that we built a set of the tools uh, in different levels and different abstractions to allow customers to plug in into any layer of this. You know, starting, everything starts with our API, and, and if customer chooses so, they can actually go into the API uh, you know, and directly interact with it. Uh, uh, lots of them like to use either our CLI tool or the uh, SDK that we built around it. But then when you come to the DevOps, they don't really care about any of that stuff. They really care mainly about higher abstractions than that. And that's when something like Terraform or Ansible comes into play, as well as scripts, uh, scripts either your own custom-made scripts, CFTs, or even Lambda. We've seen uh, recently that a lot of customers actually um, develop some of our uh, tools in the Lambda itself using our SDK to talk to the firewall. Because they really don't want to learn all the APIs because they have a multi-vendor solution which have to, they have to worry about. Okay, so that's the background. So let's talk a little bit about how does this cover some of the, some of the use cases. 
So um, Ansible has proven to be really good in configuration management. The way we use it is very different. And for those of you that actually know Ansible, you probably know that the way it works is usually through CLI, use SSH. What we needed it to do, we needed actually to talk to our XML APIs. So what we did, we created the, um, um, we created the, um, uh, our custom Ansible modules that expose our functionality of the firewall. And you'll see in a second why, why that actually worked out just fine. Uh, and it allows you to describe uh, interaction with the firewall through very simple playbooks. Playbooks is just a, a human readable format that, that written in YAML that, that actually um, Ansible folks use in order to configure devices. Here we benefited from the fact that our APIs uh, are very much identical, no matter whether you're using our physical device or virtual device, or even our central management glass of pane called uh, Panorama. You can, use, you can use the same modules against our APIs to control and manage these devices. So this is used very much for a, for a configuration manager of the Palo Alto Networks devices. Uh, the next, use, the next uh, use case that we've seen adoption um, was uh, in the public cloud deployment scenarios. So if you ever tried, and I hope you did at least to see how it goes, um, to deploy your entire topology in AWS manually, you'll very quickly figure out there is a bunch of stuff you gotta do. You know, you gotta instantiate your VPC, you have to create your regions, you gotta create your subnets, you gotta create your security groups, then you get instantiate your workloads and hook them up all together, routing, everything else. You know, in order to make this work, you have to talk to three different teams. Teams. You gotta talk to app team, which understands workloads that you need to instantiate. You gotta talk to the networking team, which is gonna set up your networking the, the way it makes sense to them. And obviously you gotta talk to security team, who are the guys who will obviously look at this is a, you know, all cautious security, um, which is almost impossible task because usually those teams don't talk to each other anyway. So we figure out that if you show them that you can use the tools like Terraform Ansible and have them actually create the snippets for each of these, so security team creates their snippet, they put in a Terraform, and, uh, and the application team creates their own snippet, put them together, actually you can put them to the, bring them to the same table and things start moving much more quicker. Uh, um, so that was actually uh, uh, really uh, helped us in a public cloud adoption. When we tried to push our firewalls into the public cloud and have them manually configure them, it was really a tedious task. It was hard. It was hard. This helped us a lot. Um, some of the companies are in this journey, cloud journey, some stuck somewhere in the middle. Uh, maybe because uh, they're still trying to figure out the public cloud strategy. Maybe because this is, this is something that works for them. You know, maybe that's, uh, 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 you know, uh, maybe they're trying just to scale up using the cloud with their on-prem uh, or whatever other reason. Maybe they don't trust cloud yet. Uh, uh, maybe they don't trust public cloud 100% yet. Uh, we can help these companies too, you know. But a couple of the partners that we're working with will actually use our Terraform Ansible scripts to actually create connectivity between you know, AWS and their uh, branch offices that they create or for scale purposes or otherwise uh, and our on-prem and their on-prem data centers by instantiating uh, you know, IPsec tunnels through something like um, uh, AWS Direct Connect, IPsec tunnels basically, right? And they can use the same script to instantiate it among all of their offices, which means it's identical, it's unique. If they need to change something within that IPsec tunnel, any configuration, the change requires one line change and they can redeploy everything. Without this, this, this process will take sometimes months, especially for the companies that are geolocated all over the place. But now they can run one script, apply it to all these tunnels and 
things magically happen. Um, we also put, put a lot of attention to actually working with the, directly with the cloud um, um, with our automation tools and natively uh, actually integrating with the cloud. So um, an interesting example that we actually found that works very well is that in a cloud, you would instantiate you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of your workloads, uh, you know, tenfold at least you know, from what you would do on just on-prem data center, and really to keep um, those workloads in check and making sure that they are all adhering to the right security policy is really painful. So what we did through our automation tools and native integration with, uh, with AWS, we actually have an ability to query that metadata. And once you query that metadata, that metadata gets pushed to the firewall, um, and it gets applied to the security rule. So as far as the security rules goes, you create only one security rule to make it like a clear example. I want to make sure that you know, all my New York web servers you know, can, only traffic, uh, can only route, say, uh, 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 web traffic, right? So you create with that one rule, and through automation you can say, okay, I want you to query metadata on your AWS, metadata service, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, and you can query that and push all the IPs into the, uh, into the firewall automatically. So you, have, you don't ever have to change your security rules. They'll get pushed when your workloads get deprovisioned, they will, they will get removed from the, um, from the firewall itself. So this is actually a, a very interesting and simple case which had a big traction with all our customers because they don't have to worry about now thousands of the VMs being instantiated by developers, by QA, by somebody else. They can create one security rule and just apply it to all these guys. Um, and, the, uh, and, the last, uh, and the last but not the least case is uh, CI-CD uh, automation. It's missing D. Um, so, as you create your CI-CD process and flow, and this is a typical process, it might be similar to what you guys do in, in your development, uh, it might be different, but more or less it's probably 70% there. Um, most of the developers, and I come from development myself, um, they don't care about security. <laughs> you know, they just want to make sure that they can develop application, they want to be able to publish it, and they want to be uh, done with it. Um, so, in order to make this work for them, you need to be able to actually plug yourself, a security company, into their CI-CD process. And things usually go like, um, a, a typical example is that, you know, you would have a Git, GitHub repo or some repository, whatever you want to. You know, you'll create an application, you will push some feature to the application, somebody approves the change, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's in staging area. And you're going to run your unit tests, whatever tests you have. One test passes, you're going to be deployed to production. And at this point, you know, when it's in production, you've got to call your security team and say, hey, can you please open port 80 for me because I just developed something. Of course, these guys will usually take a couple of weeks to figure this out, so it really doesn't work that way. There is really, you lose a lot of um, fluidity, you lose a lot of flexibility, and it's not dynamic, you know, for any of these guys. However, what you can do with our automation tools, what you've seen, you can actually plug anywhere in this, whatever makes sense for your workflow in your process. You can plug, um, uh, you know, say, a basic Jenkins uh, 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 job or Team City or any of that kind, which will actually look into the uh, metadata of the, uh, of the application you're developing and push those security rules to the firewall. So they automatically will open up for you so you can test your application pretty much the same time when all your unit tests are being passed, uh, uh, the same time your unit tests pass. Um, this is something that's actually interesting, and it's the whole concept of the... Uh, 
security as a code is the whole concept of um, um, actually security that follows the application. And I've seen more and more companies uh, uh, doing something like this. Of course, again, like I said, security needs to be uh, prescribed. You know, developers don't care about it. So how do you make everybody happy? Well, this is one way to make them happy because your security team can set up the rules which, you know, which will come before or after your application developer rules, which will always make sure that your enterprise is protected. And developers itself can just decide um, you know, to, to figure out, decide you know, if they need to test applications, they can through metadata pretty much expose it to our firewall. A simple example for those is use Docker. If you say that you want to expose port such and such, we can pick that up and push it in a firewall rule automatically. And now you can get to that instance immediately without waiting for somebody to approve the change. Okay. So, so I think on that note, uh, I'll have my colleague take it over. Sure. Thanks. And Thanks. So, so as we look at, you know, taking these tool sets, we've seen, I guess as we take a step back and we look at customers, there's been this maturation process that we've seen with customers that I've been working with. So initially, you know, getting started, how do you start working within the cloud? How do you start taking apps, moving them to the cloud? It became more of an education. We spent time doing a lot of education with customers. From there, we move to talking about specific architectures. Under, once you understand the cloud, how the fabric of AWS works, how do, um, you know, so how do I now build an architecture to be able to support my applications? From that, we've seen a move to then the automation pieces. So I'm starting to deploy applications now. How do I automate that? And that's where you know, the, some of the tool sets that we're talking about come into play. From that automation step, now we're seeing customers that have, you know, that have a large cloud adoption. They're moving to that next level, and that next level is how do I operationalize this? So as you look at that from the standpoint of now, I've got these applications out there. How do I manage that? How do I um, provide the environments for my development teams to be able to develop code? How do I move the process from developing that code to getting it into pre-production and into production. You know, what are the methodologies that we have for that? You know, how do I put this all together so that my SOC, my Security Operations Center, can take over these applications? So that last point that we've been seeing lately is customers that are now moving into that operational phase and trying to operationalize cloud. So as we look at that, something, as we said, that has to be simple and repeatable becomes very important. Something that will integrate security into the mechanism, into the fabric of what you're deploying. So that, you know, as you look at a developer, you can provide them the resources. And, you know, what I've seen is IT departments have, have, have really had to kind of become that AWS service provider or cloud service provider for their entire organization, and everybody's looking to them to be able to provide these environments. So we've worked with some customers where we've taken our automation tool sets and we're able to do something that's very easy, very repeatable, where we can take these tools, script a development environment, and then put some process around that so that we can deploy these development environments, assign them to developers. Developers can go in there. They have the ability to you know, spin up like 10, 10 AMIs at, at any given time you know, or spin down 10 AMIs, and we put some constrictions around that so that we can centralize resources from outbound for Internet so I can protect 
you know, information getting out or, you know, a, an attack of some sort that we can minimize that by centralizing resources and access into that, into that environment and really lock down and give them the tool sets that they need in a secure manner and automate that. So we've seen customers that have taken that and now have, have pushed that out and are, and are running these environments and, and providing these environments for their development teams. So this kind of shows an example of of um, using our device so that we can, you know, automate that delivery of these development environments. From there, customers, as they look at applications, as I said, that maturation process of what we've seen our customers go through started out with lots of applications and doing as much as they can with as few devices as they can and putting as many, into, as many applications into a VPC and, and building them that way. And what customers have found is as they work through that development cycle, how do I update my, my applications? If I have multiple applications, is there a possibility that I can deploy code for one application that could have an impact on the entire VPC and bring down all of my applications? And so we're seeing this change now where customers, you know, as you look at that scale-out mentality of public cloud, how do I now deploy um, so that I can have some consistency with my applications? I can have... You know, I, I'm not going to have those issues with bad code causing, creating problems for me. So we've seen customers start to take and simplify their environments, move them to a single VPC for a service. So almost like a container, but using the VPC as the container to be able to develop an application and make that singularly in, into a single VPC so that from there, now I can use automation tool sets and I can now deliver that application across multiple regions and use a global load balancer like Route, 50, or, uh, Route 53 to be able to do that global load balancing across all of these different VPCs to give me the scale that I need, to give me the performance that I need, and to give me the high availability that I need and make that easy. That lends itself into that immutable architecture. And how many of you have heard the term immutable architecture? So for those of you that haven't heard about what immutable architecture is, I think that there's always a little bit of a difference to how people will define that. But as I talk about immutable architecture, what I'm talking about is more of that process of if I'm able to take and use these building blocks, this small reusable automated piece, when I develop new code and I'm using global load balancing and distributing this, I have the ability to keep my production environment static, where I'm not going to do patches in that environment. I'm not going to bring new code into that environment. If I'm going to do any of that stuff, it comes into a pre-production environment where we can then test it and make sure everything is good. And then it ends up being a DNS name resolution change to be able to move to my pre-production environments. And my production environments then get destroyed. So it's this maturation process of how you test and bring applications up without having to manage the day-to-day -day stuff of, of patches and all of that stuff. Anything that needs to be patched, new codes, all that comes into a, a completely separate VPC that is stood up beside that for pre-production testing before it then works its way in. So as we talk about that CICD from a continuous integration perspective, to be able to, as you write that code, build those unit tests and, and do a lot of that testing and automate those testing processes to help keep your code and, and keep your application running to the best that it's possible. So that's one of the things that we see a lot of customers looking to move to and, and breaking away from that process of putting lots of things into a single VPC. 
So I want to walk you through. Um, we've built a little demo where we're going to build an architecture like this, where we're going to use our firewall uh, and deploy our firewall from an automated, uh, from a Terraform template. We're going to, you know, so an AMI from the marketplace. We're going to deploy web servers, and we're going to build security policies so that we can use Terraform to stand up the VPC. We can use um, we, we can use um, Terraform to build our entire environment from a routing subnets. Um, and then we'll use Ansible specifically to, on the back end of that, come in and actually configure our firewalls. So just a real quick demo that um, we can spend so that we can kind of show that process of how we take, deliver an application, how we can take, you know, because as he said, that process of, of working with the different siloed um, pieces to an organization. So, you know, security, as he said, the toughest thing about security, and we're a security company, is security is very static. It has to be very static. Um, because if you get out of that, then that's where you lose control and bad things happen. So how do you take that static environment and work within a dynamic environment of what your developers are looking for, what they need, and also incorporating in the, the networking team? I can't tell you the number of times I've sat with customers and everybody's fighting over who's going to manage the load balancers in their environment. Should that be the, um, the, the cloud team or you know, who should that be? And so now we have the ability to bring all those people together to be able to talk through this from an automation perspective. What do we need from a networking? What are those rule sets that you've developed for, from a networking perspective? And then take what you need from a security perspective, automate that, as we said, security as code. So now if I'm delivering infrastructure as code, I can also tap onto that and bring security as code in. How do I do that? You know, as we start talking about the automated and programmatic approach, I have the ability to be able to now if I'm building these AMIs, I'm building these infrastructures, I can actually put in tags so I can use tags. For us, we're able to now query the API, pull the tags back. We're able to now use that in a security policy that is dynamically populated in with what we call a dynamic address group, where within that policy now, the IP addresses that are associated with the tags get associated with the dynamic objects that are now in policy. So when that, any device comes up, a new device is spun up, um, a new environment is spun up, we read those tags from the APIs that we continually update, and they're now associated with policy. And so as we look at that, that gives us an automated approach to how we can now incorporate security in those standards into the automation so that when we spin up these templates, the security is also deployed with them. And what I'll see customers do is they write default rules where if I've defined all of my applications, all of my use cases, I've automated all of those use cases and tool sets, if something comes up that doesn't match any of those, then I've got rule sets in my firewall to be able to quarantine and, and, and close those off so that you know, that whole shadow IT thing, if somebody is uh, doing something on their own that you don't know about, you can protect yourself. So that programmatic approach to, to incorporating security as code for deployment um, becomes a, a, you know, that happy medium to work with and allow your development teams to have that dynamic environment um, or provide the environment that you need, um, but also meeting the requirements for your security team, for your, um, for your SOCs. So, As I said before, um, we're going to be using Terraform and Ansible in this, in this script. Um, when we do this, it's, um, we have, um, 
we've created a, a doc, a Docker doc that we're using, where we'll instantiate the doc, and then from within the doc, we'll um, have the tool sets so that from there we can actually deploy out the architecture utilizing Terraform. So you don't have to do that. It's something that we did, you know, and it's a part of this demo, but you don't have to do that. You can have Terraform on your machine and just use the Terraform and the scripts um, and that you're writing for the Terraform platform, as well as our Ansible YAML playbooks. So um, with that, I'll move over and um, show you this video. So we are using a, a Docker just as the packaging mechanism for this demo. So you know, even if you want to down the line try this on your own, which you can, and we'll share some links for it. If you just download Docker, you know, it's going to have all the tools, so you don't have to you know mess up your machine if that's what would happen, right? And just use all the tools. It's just a set of the tools which you can download on your own too. Okay. So. So from here, what we're doing is um, displaying the docs that we have, and we're going to use Docker, and we're actually going to run one of our docs that we have, so one of our containers. We're going to map drives that have um, the important files that we need, so our templates, um, our Ansible playbooks, um, our um, environmental variables files, so that we can use them within our template. So um, right now, we're, we're, we're spinning that up, and we're creating the container, spinning up the container. So once we have that container spun up, um, here in a second you'll see, we'll move to actually um, hitting this, the um, command line of the, of the actual um, container and start the process of installing some of the tool sets that we'll need that um, we've built an automated script for that. And so you'll see the pan-underscore install. That helps us so that we can deploy the libraries that he was talking about that we've deployed to help make this process easier when utilizing um, our devices. So once we do that, you'll see we'll run through. We'll install Terraform and Ansible. And, um, and then we'll actually pull the, um, the Palo Alto Terraform and Ansible um, repositories so that they're available to the doc. And we could have automated this too, but yeah, then we it definitely looked, could have automated. Then it looked too easy. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, now what we're going to do is we're actually going to um, we're going to access the what we call our one-click. Um, and by the way, these templates are available on our GitHub repository, so you can actually take one of these sample templates and adapt them. But so we're we're calling that that template. We're going to move over our credentials file. And then once we do that, um, the, once the credentials file is moved over, we're going to do a, an apply to that, and you should um, really Terraform use apply. So that will actually kick off the process of going out and starting the install. So um, in this file, we can automate the variables. But from here, we're going to actually show where we're going to add in some of the variables here of you know, what keys we're going to use, what regions we're going to be in. Um, and, and then we'll go ahead and, and spin this up in that environment. So I think this is using US East 1. So now that our deployment has started, once the infrastructure gets built, our firewall has a process where we can bootstrap our firewall. We use S3 for bootstrap, so we have the ability where we can put new revs of our code um, and 
we can completely automate the process. All of our files for our firewalls are built on XML files, which makes it easy to be able to throw that in so that into an S3 bucket so it can be called by our firewall and come up with that config. So after the firewall spin up, they're going to go through that bootstrap process once we associate the right AMI, and we're going to wait for the firewall to come up, take, and it will um, get its configuration, um, a base configuration, I, I should say, because you don't want to put some of those security pieces out in an S3 bucket. So we're actually going to utilize Ansible to put some of those more detailed um, pieces in. But we'll wait for the actual firewalls to come up. Once they come up, um, you know, we'll see the Ansible script is embedded into the Terraform template, so we'll call the YAML file, and from that YAML file, it will actually run and hit the libraries and configure our firewall. And from there, you know, once that all comes up, now, as you can see, we've gone through and just did, um, um, you know, pulled up the, the website um, so that you can see the text from the website, the, our web server response. So we've actually taken and built and configured an entire environment and had the response from the web server come up that we've secured with, um, with policy. So these are the things that I'm talking about that, that, you know, with what we're doing with our tool sets gives us the capabilities to be able to automate these things um, and make them very easy. And just as a disclaimer, we don't suggest that you put your credentials in a file. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it helps fit a demo. You know, put them in a vault or somewhere else, but not in a file. <laughs> yeah. So let me switch that back off. How do I go back to the slides? Thank you. So one of the things that I want to talk about, you know, as we kind of start to wrap this up a little bit and take some questions from you guys, is we are trying to help our customers and our partners um, by developing templates. So as I said, from we have our live site that you can actually go out to our live site, and a lot of these templates are made available. We have some that are supported by our TAC. We have others that are community built so that you guys can use these as a basis to be able to start um, automating the different environments and deploying our firewalls and, and our security services. Um, we also have a GitHub repository that is github.com slash Palo Alto Networks where, again, we have a, a, a lot of tool sets there to help with the automation pieces to your environments. So I highly recommend that you take a look at these. We've got some, you know, we've got some really good templates where we've deployed, you know, the load balancer, load balancer sandwich, as, as it's called, and, and we've, you know, Lambda functions and how we can manage and track state within the, the load balancers. Um, you know, we've got sample whole architectures like what we just said, the one-click architecture, where we've got deployment guides as well as um, scripting so that you can deploy those. It makes it really easy in a one-place stop to be able to go out and find some of that stuff. So with that, we'll open it up, and um, we're happy to answer any questions that you may have um, around automation and, and our, our tool sets. Suggesting um, 
building Terraform scripts um, to build the environment from step one all the way through. The VPC, the IGW, the, the security groups, the, the whole shebang, right? Um, how many customers do you see out there that have that type of automation fully functional? So can I just, first, first part of your question. So uh, we're not suggesting Terraform. We saw that Terraform has a very good adoption. I think what you're going to do is depends on DevOps culture. Which you go, you're going to have a DevOps who like Terraform. You're going to have a DevOps who like Ansible. You'll have a DevOps who come from you know, this or the other space. So I would highly suggest that you follow your DevOps if you, if you already built a team. Otherwise, it's going to be a really uphill battle. So now, you said uh, as far as the Terraform goes, uh, how many customers we see that build Terraforms? Well, pretty much every single conversation I had with any cloud customer, born in cloud customer, used Terraform 90% of the times and probably Ansible 10% of the times, and really nothing else behind it. Well, we're, we're using it 90% of the time, but from, um, from um, VPC stand-up through the whole entire account. Do you see a, a yeah. lot of customers doing that? So, so the way what I see is that they use uh, Terraform to build topologies, and then use something like Ansible or maybe SaltStack or Puppet, if you support that, to do configuration management and incremental changes. So day zero would be Terraform. Day one and day n would be like uh, just the configuration changes with one of these other tools. And as far as customers, what I'm saying, like, like I talked about earlier, that maturation process, a lot of customers may not be at that point where they're ready to have full automation yet because they're still learning. And, and we see some customers that have gotten to that point where they've taken and seen the value of what the automation brings for them and they're working toward that. So you know, we've got customers on the entire spectrum of that right now. I'll they talk together. What's the difference between that and something like Terraform or I'm trying to figure out what, you know, your block, you can create those uh, private networks so, with something like Docker Swarm and what so, does Terraform? Yeah, so uh, it, it's a good question. Uh, they're very different, right? Do Docker Swarm is used for the orchestration of the Dockers and it's really the scheduling uh, a system which allows you to schedule your Docker containers, right? So now Terraform has a provider for Docker Swarm that you can use to automate your Docker Swarm deployments. Does it make sense? So, so while Docker Swarm, uh, and, and we can have conversation after this if you want to have detailed conversation, but Docker Swarm will allow you to obviously schedule your containers. You can use Terraform to deploy Docker Swarm and then to use Terraform as the initiator to deploy your containers. So they're a little bit different, right? Does it make sense? Yeah. Any other questions? Okay. Well, it, we'll, we'll be here for a few minutes. If you want, have any questions and you want to talk to us, we're, we're happy to hang around for a bit and answer some questions. We've got a little bit of time left. So thank you for coming out. I hope this um, was informative for you. And um, enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Thanks.